Stand Up for the Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up for the Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in. Can't wait to talk about some of the uh, topics we need to address today with our guest, Neil Maman of Every Black Life Matters. And uh, thank you guys so much for uh, sharing the podcast. I don't know what's going on, but the last four days have been exceptional. So thank you. Thank you. It's uh, the body of Christ. That's uh, because of you that we're getting out there, and we appreciate it very much. So let's open, as we uh, always do, asking God for help. Lord, uh, thank you, Jesus, for uh, saving us first and foremost, and thank you for giving us purpose and meaning in our lives every day because of what you've done for us and because of uh, the mission that we have, the mission of reconciliation and to share the gospel, to speak the truth in love. And we ask that you'd give us wisdom today. Show us how to do that in the most effective way possible, to be the salt and light that the church is supposed to be influential for righteousness in our culture, in our country, and in our world. Father, guide us today. Thank you for your faithfulness, and thank you for your sovereignty. We trust you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, today, we uh, are thankful to have on with us Neil Maman, and he was born in Ghana to Indian parents. He grew up in Jamaica, Sudan, India, Ethiopia, Yemen, under Sharia law. Uh, while his grandparents were evangelical, his extended family consists of active socialists, communists, atheists, and leaders in the liberation theology organizations. And needless to say, he's the black sheep of the family. He is the executive vice president of Every Black Life Matters. He's got degrees in computer engineering, electrical engineering, solid-state physics. He's co-founded five startup companies in Silicon Valley. So he's been around for a while. He also has 16 pending patents and is the author of multiple books. And one of them we really want to talk about eventually this morning. We're going to get to his book called Jesus is Involved in Politics. Why aren't you? Why isn't your church? Neil, Maman, thank you so much for coming on Stand Up for the Truth. Thank you so much. Well, we want to talk about your background first. What a fascinating story having lived in all the places you did and having the family that you do. Could you please share how you became uh, a born-again Christian and, and how you kind of became the black sheep of the family? Well, the uh, the interesting thing is that, so my dad was an atheist, uh, I think until I was about five years old. He was an atheist and a communist. Wow. Both until I was about five, and at which point uh, our Lord saved him. You know, um, he became... Not only uh, he was a professor in physics, and we were traveling around the world teaching. He was teaching different universities, so he became a Christian. So I grew up in a very uh, Christian, you know, home with science and faith and uh, reason all behind it. So things of politics and all these these were common discussions. Hmm. But every time I would go back home to India, I would run into my cousins, and uh, I always joke that the the argument at the dinner table was which flavor of the Communist Party to join, because did they want to join the Communist Party of India or the Communist Party Marxists of India? And that was the big argument they would have often at the table. Uh, the uh, One of my uncles was actually... Now, what's interesting is that some of my uncles were both Christians and communists, and some were atheists, <laughs> like my dad and, uh, and communists. Um, one of my uncles, who was a leader in the Communist Party... Uh, was uh, got married to my aunt and then had to escape into the hills and didn't see her for months afterwards because the government of India was after him because he was a communist leader. The other one uh, was a communist, uh, was a communist, but he was also a Christian and he wanted to join. When he went to uh, join the Communist Party, they said, "Well, you, we can't make you a leader in the Communist Party because you're a Christian." <laughs> and when he went, then he said, "Okay, fine, I'll go join the church as a bishop or something." And they said, "No, you can't join the church because you're a communist." So 
That's funny. He ended up being a theologian. Now, what's interesting about him (laughs) is he went on to head the World Council of Churches in the 60s, which, as you well know, pushes the, uh, uh, you know, critical race theory and liberation theology. Yeah. So that was um, that was that was my foundational principle there. Um, so that's a kind of a bit of a background there. Wow, fascinating! And of course, uh, you live in Southern California. You've got a lot of uh, uh, history out there as far as business. Yeah, um, actually, Northern California. We're in Silicon Valley. Oh, okay, Northern California. Yeah, we, yeah. Uh, my wife and I, lived in Southern California for uh, fifteen years. Um, now oh. we're now we're in the Midwest. But uh, it, it's interesting with your background um, that you got into apologetics. And I know you've written a little bit over at uh, Cross-Examined, which you know, Frank Turek, it's a great site, mm-hmm. and others. Uh, where can people find some of the blogs or articles you've written or maybe some of the apologetics uh, information for those who are interested in that? Yeah, so if you go to my website, it's called no blind faith, noblindfaith.com or .org, both will work. So you can, uh, I have a lot of different articles there. And you can also go to Frank's site, crossexamined.org. And if you look up Neil Marmon, you'll find some of the articles I've written. So, yeah, so I got into apologetics simply because my dad was a professor in physics. And so when so I, we, I grew up merging faith and science. I didn't see any, any problem with that. But when I came to the States, I noticed a lot of my friends were afraid of science. They thought, <laughs> oh, science and reason, you know, that's an, the antithesis to, uh, to faith. And, and, I, and I would argue with them all the time, and I realized the need for an apologetics ministry that would actually mm. reach out to people and engage with them rationally and logically. So, uh, so that's the focus of our belief is that it's a rational faith that we have based on facts, logic, history, science, archaeology. It's not a blind faith. Um, I wasn't going to ask you this, but I, I want to. There's a new um, a survey that came out. Based on what you just shared, you're talking about reason, and we can explain why we believe what we believe based on evidence and fact and history and the, and the Bible, the truth of scriptures. Um, th- uh, this just came out yesterday that uh, about biblical beliefs in America where, uh, now I'm going to call them so-called Christians, but it says mm-hmm. 60% of Christians under 40 say Jesus is not the only way to salvation. And then it, it breaks that down in the study. We've seen more of this, Barna, Research, Pew, Gallup, whenever they uh, you know, view Christians or professing Christians on their faith. It seems like we're getting so far away from the biblical worldview. Um, what have you found through the years, because you've got a, a strong apologetics background, uh, your observations when it comes to why uh, we are falling away from sometimes the essentials of the scripture and really the truth of the biblical worldview. So well, I think there are two good good reasons that I've come up with. One, of course, is when if you want to talk about critical race theory, is that there's been an infiltration of our seminaries by critical race theory and Marxists, right? Mm. Right from the beginning, yes. the Marxists realized that they can't make America Marxists overnight. They have to infiltrate slowly, and they've got to start with the public schools, and that's why the public school system has been a target of Marxism right back from the 1930s and the 1950s. So that's one. And then, of course, they, they hire academics and all that. So, I mean, you'll have places like um, schools that should know better uh, teaching critical race theory or inviting critical race theory. You know, churches, uh, not churches, sorry, um, um, bi- not Biola, but universities, uh, Christian seminaries, uh, Biola certainly not that I know of, but yes. other seminaries have been bringing in the critical race theory speakers. Um, Fuller, for example, has. Yeah. Uh, and so that's one of them. But the second thing I think, and this is where we need to blame our pastors, the pastors are not teaching theology. Yeah. They seem to, they've been teaching pop uh, Christianity, right? They teach about, you know, you got to believe in Jesus, you've got to believe in Jesus, but they don't say anything about other religions, they don't talk about any other belief systems, and so basically people come out of uh, church with a, you know, what I call a third-grade theology level. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say that, though, because if you talk to my daughter, she's in third grade, and she'll get... Because here's what's funny, is that my six-year-old is knows more about theology than most uh, most adults, and, and because we talk about it, yes. for instance, he, he was, and most adults will correct themselves. Like for instance, he was at a little at a camp, and and I think he made a pest of himself because you know one of the teachers said God can do anything, and my son, six years old, said No, he can't. And, <laughs> and of course, the teacher is like, you know, it was like a summer awana, and I mean like not awana, but like a summer camp, VBS <laughs> type thing. 
And the teacher said, you know, being very polite and nice, said, well, why, why not? He says, well, he can't lie. He can't die. He can't stop being God. <laughs> My son goes on this list of things that God can't do. <laughs> you know, and, and the teacher says, oh, yeah, you're right. And then after the event, my my nine-year-old said, Dad, you know, uh, Alistair's my son. Alistair was rude to the teacher. <laughs> and so then the whole story came out. I said, okay, Alistair, you, you, need, you need to say it nicely. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> well, what, what, what you just said, what you shared is to our audience, which I uh, am thankful seems to be more discerning and more mature, I consider them the remnant of true believers in Christ and disciples of Jesus, um, they know you're not exaggerating. That, that a six-year-old or a young child can be more understanding of the biblical uh, scriptures or the truth or evidence or to be able to just have, just to reason. Uh, because right. we haven't been taught that. We, in American Christianity, as you know, Neil, I'm sure you've traveled around and you've been at a lot of churches. Um, there's a lot of, nothing necessarily wrong with topical Sermons, but there's a lot of uh, man pleasing, people pleasing, ear tickling uh, sermons, and that has affected um, the the weakness of Christianity in America. Would you say that's accurate? Absolutely, uh, uh, and and I think I don't know. You know, for, like I'll talk to pastors and and they'll say, "Oh, I don't want to go into too much detail." I'm like, "Look, this works for my six year old. It works for my, my ten year old. I mean, why would it not work for your?" average age 40 year old audience right mm. so uh for instance this sunday i'm teaching i'm preaching at newark community church and i'm preaching about um how can god exist when there's so much evil in the world right and i go i pretty much go through and i'll be going through almost every excuse that an atheist comes up with about how evil proves god doesn't exist when it's actually the opposite the fact that you recognize evil actually proves that god does exist because the fact that you recognize evil proves that there is an objective moral standard of given evil and there can only be an objective moral standard of good and evil if there is an objective moral standard giver. Mm. And there is an objective moral standard giver. The only person with authority to give an objective moral standard to every human being is the creator of every human being. That's right. <laughs> so right there you've said the only way you can recognize evil exists is if there is a God, right? And you kind of work that out and people... And a lot of people get that. They're like, well, wow, yeah, of course that makes sense. And then... Uh, but it'll be unlikely that you'll hear most pastors to preach on something like that. Exactly, exactly. Well, we're speaking with Neil Maman today. Um, he's the executive vice president of Every Black Life Matters, so we want to talk about that. And, uh, by the way, his website, noblindfaith.com. Over at Every Black Life Matters, um, it says, We support all black life unapologetically. And, of course, I know what you mean, Neil. You mean from conception to death, uh, you uh, you believe in defending uh, black babies and mothers' wombs to the elderly, to black business owners. Um, so it says the mission is to protect black life from conception to death by confronting injustice and deconstructing barriers inside and outside the black community through a national platform of training, networked resources, community organizing, and faith building. Would you share a little bit now about how you uh, transitioned and got involved with this organization with um, Kevin McGarry? Well, like any great idea, it came from a woman, the most beautiful woman in the world, my wife. Uh-huh. That's funny. <laughs> we were uh, sitting watching something, and uh, she pointed out on Facebook that some Christian friends of ours had posted their kids at a BLM rally. Not yep. a violent one, but a peaceful one. Yep. And their, their young kids are holding up these BLM signs. <laughs> so she turned to me and she said, you know, some somebody needs to do something. They needs to." She said, that, you know, their whole point is they're not racist, right? And they want to show people they're not racist and they want to support black people, but they don't realize that BLM is a bunch of Marxists and mm-hmm. everything that they're doing is the antithesis of helping black people. So she turned, she said, you know, you've got, you know, you, you've got to figure out something here and maybe talk to the guys at the Frederick Douglass Foundation. So, and so Kevin McGarry is the chairman of the California Frederick Douglass Foundation. So I called up Kevin. I've known him for like 15 years and, you know, we are very similar in backgrounds, both in, um, I, you know, in uh, electronics and IT and stuff like that. By the way, just, just a minor correction. You said I had 16 pending patents. I actually have 16 
uh, granted and pending patents. Okay, so, excellent. So I think I think twelve of them are granted, four of them are like. <laughs> wow. <But> anyway, <laughs> just a minor. Because <laughs> it's very easy to have a pending patent. Okay, okay. Just file it, and it never comes back, and nobody ever cares because <laughs> it's junk, right? So. That's an important clarification. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, so, um, so anyway, so so um, so I called Kevin up and I said, "Hey, Kevin, you know, you at the Fred, you and the Frederick Douglass Foundation need to do something about this. This is a chance for you to give people an alternative, at least put up a web page or something like that." So Kevin calls up uh, Dean Nelson, who's the uh, the head of the uh, Frederick Douglass Foundation in. in um, Washington D.C. Great guy, wonderful guy. I mean, I, I love Dave. So he he talks to Kevin and and he says, Kevin, you know, we're so busy. We're in the middle of this election cycle um, because you know the Frederick Douglass Foundation. These guys are are hardcore conservatives, so mm-hmm. they were really busy the last election cycle. So he said, you and Neil should start something. So Kevin calls me back and he says, Well, I guess you and I are starting something. And I said, Kevin, there's one problem. He goes, What? He says, I said, Well, I'm not black. He goes, no, but you're African-American, because I was born in Africa. And he goes, in fact, you're more African than I am. So that <laughs> began the whole uh, thing. And, and the whole idea was, look, we know the problems of the black community, and they're not what BLM said they are. BLM is promoting uh, against the patriarchal hegemony. Basically, they don't want fatherhood. They're against, uh, you know, they're promoting uh, communism and Marxism. They're, they're promoting socialism. They're promoting yeah. all these things that, you know, choice abortion and all that. And when you start going down the list of things, in fact, if you look at our principles, what we stand for, um, the first one is um, real justice from womb to tomb. You know, and BLM is for choice. Well, it turns out that there are 44 million African Americans in the U.S. today. Uh, There would be 64 million. That means 20 million of them were killed in the womb. Yeah. So the first thing, if you're a black person, you like black people, you're going to say, why has 50, almost 50% of our population been killed before they were born? Wow. That's, a, that's genocide right there. How yes. can you be for black lives if you're not against and, and not be against that? But BLM is for choice, right? Secondly, they're against the nuclear family, right? We are for the nuclear family. They actually used to say that they're against the, the traditional nuclear family. They used to, you know, words using the nuclear family. So... Well, that's the problem. The real problem is if you go back to the 1930s and the 1950s, if you went downtown into the black communities, there were, they were poor and there was racism. But they were families were intact. In fact, you could see if you walked down the street in a black community, you'd see the father playing with his kids, going on walks. You'd see him sitting on the porch watching his kids. Today, you go into those inner city black communities, you don't see any of that. Yes. Why? Because there's no father. The father has been desperate, has been removed, taken out of the house. So our second point is active fatherhood. Amen. Well, why yep. was the father taken out of the house? The father was taken out of the house because um, LBJ, Lyndon Johnson, wanted to make sure the African-American population voted for him. And he used, you know, he used uh, the N-word and saying we're going to make sure they're going to vote for us for the next 200 years or something like that. Yeah. And... The intent then was let's reach out to them, and they had created the whole concept of the welfare state. And so you got money if there was a, uh, if there was no father. You got more money if there was no father in the home. That's right. So they they rewarded fatherlessness. And what was worse than that is, and and that actually brings us today. There's this whole thing called Title Four D, where for every dollar in child support that you extract from a father or a mother. Um, and give to the other parent, the state gets something like $4 from the federal government. Wow. There's a huge incentive to wow. create father's homes, right? And what's worse is the judge who decides on that child support breakup, because it's 50-50, the, he doesn't get any money. His coffers get funded. He doesn't get personally the money, but his account gets that federal funding. So for every judge in a divorce proceeding, He's incentivized specifically to ensure that there is no 50-50 custody. Mm. So, things, yeah, but, so coming back to it, so what was happening was now, now the, child, the fatherless night starts going up. Today in the African-American community, uh, the, uh, the average African-American child, 72% of the average America, African-Americans are born in house without a father in the home. Now, what does this cost? Neil, wait a minute, Neil. Could could you repeat that percentage, please? What what was that? Seventy something like seventy two percent of all African Americans are born in a house without a father. Wow, that's sobering. Now, 
now imagine what that does. First of all, um, young men are are looking for a relationship. There's no one to guide them. There's no one to discipline them. There's no standard for them to look to. So what do they do? They join the gang. So they're mm-hmm. looking for belonging. They're looking for that male companionship leadership. So the gangs are like, hey, here's a ready place to recruit it. So the gangs are getting involved in all the things. The gangs do mainly drugs and stuff like that. And then you, with that, you get gang violence and you get murders and you get crime. And now the mothers are locking their doors at night and there's nobody going out in the streets, right? Mm-hmm. So right there you see that. Second thing that happens is that um, young women are now looking for that fatherhood figure so they get sexually active at really young ages. Yeah. You know that if there's a father in the home, young girls are much less likely to start sleeping around. But if there is no father, then they're going to go out looking for that male companionship. Mm. So that's the, the second thing that happens. Now, as a result of all this, guess what happens to the schools? Schools now are full of gangs. And so Kids are going to school with guns. Why do you think we need, you know, gun det- metal detectors at schools? Well, because they're going to school with these guns, or, and then the gun- gang warfare is now going into the schools. Because they're recruiting kids as young as 10 and 11 to do mm-hmm. their jobs. And these kids are now fighting with, with uh, you know, different gangs, and now the focus is in school. So why do you think happens to their, educa- their, their education and with the public school system? Well, it, it goes down. Mm-hmm. Right now, the literacy rate in, Af- in some African-American communities is as low as 18%. 18, now, here's wow. the irony of this. Here's the irony that most people don't realize. If you go back to the 1930s, the literacy rate, 1930s, height of Jim Crow, height of racism, all the bad things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the literacy rate in the African-American communities was 70%. Today, it's 18%. Wow. It has dropped. It's made worse. Yep. Right now, right. in fact, it would be better if you banned all African Americans. <laughs> you know, I would say. You know, somebody asked me a few years ago, "Do you think there should be a prayer in public schools?" I said, "I think there shouldn't be prayer in public schools." And they said, "Why not?" I said, "Well, because I don't think there should be children in public schools." Mm, amen. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. You know, so I don't think there should be prayer. I don't think there should be teachers. I don't think there should be anything. There should not be children in public schools because, as Vody Bachman tells us, if you send your kids to Caesar, why are you surprised when they come back as Romans? Amen. That's right. Great right. quote from him. Right. And this. So, oh, go ahead. So, what's happening in the inner city schools is that now the, the literacy rates are 17 to 18%. So, the other thing that we're fighting for is for educational choice. Mm. Every time the kids have had a voucher that their parents have been, and in fact, 70%, 68% of African-American parents want a school voucher because they know the schools are bad. They know there are gangs in school, and they want to send their kids to a church school or to some private school. And if they had a voucher, they could do that. But BLM refuses to let them do that. They team up with the teachers' unions, and they don't want that voucher. So that's the other thing that we have is educational choice. That's okay. Let's talk about education now. Very important. Critical race theory, the 1619 project. But before we do, let's clarify something you said, that in the 1960s, at the time of the Great Society and Lyndon Johnson, around 1965 or so, he, of course, expanded the federal bureaucracy and Mm -hmm. government programs, and he made promises about eradicating poverty and all this. He helped the black community in his way by giving them money, but the money that was given to them with the welfare was eliminating the father and, like you right. said, the male role model from the family. And at that time, in the 1960s, there was approximately a 77% uh, rate of um, uh, father and mother in black families, and now it's down to like 24% or something like that. It's right. It's awful. And so, but they sure did get a lot of voters. They sure did get a, a voting block thinking that, oh, they gave the black community money, so they must really care about the black community. But, Neil, let's move on. We're running out of time. Um, let's talk about education. Critical race theory has been in the universities for decades. It's now in some, many public schools. Um, and also the 1619 project, they're trying to put that in, uh, designed to cast America as a racist country. Could you share your thoughts on these two very important ideologies and teachings? Well, the CRT, critical race theory, comes out of critical theory and liberation theology. And the basic idea there is um, really Marxism realized that they had to get, uh, the only way they could get Marxism in America was to to destroy the foundations of America. The first thing you have to destroy is the family, uh, and that's where welfare came. And secondly, is you have to brainwash the kids, and that's where they got into the public school with 
uh, Dewey and all those guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the yep. third thing is they had to get into the higher educational systems. The fourth thing is they had to get into the churches uh, and um, the seminaries. Uh, and 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 also, sorry, and one of those is they had to break down the economic system, and the way they break down the economic system is make everybody get on welfare and inflation, and you get the whole, um, you know, you get the whole uh, what they're doing right now with putting everybody on. They're trying to get a basic income for everybody. Basically, everybody gets a paycheck, yeah. um, which means they're a slave to the government. And then the last thing, I think, the most important thing that they realized is that America was still cohesive, and the only way they could start this was trying inciting racial tensions and violence. So how do you incite racial tensions? Well, you come up with a theory that is so wrong that it creates racial strife. And so the theory, basically, critical race theory, if you just, if you just <clears throat> boil it down to its basically thing, <clears throat> basic premises, if you are from an oppressed class, you are morally high-standing. If you are from an oppressor class, doesn't matter what you do, you are evil. So... If you are white, you're the oppressor class. Therefore, you are evil. You are white. You're a white three-year-old. You're a white five-year-old. You're a racist. Hmm. doesn't matter if you've ever had a racist thought in your mind. It doesn't matter if you are definitely not a racist. You are a de facto racist. And I don't, you know, I, we can, I can look up all the quotes, but, you know, Ibrahim Kendi, uh, all these people. And so as a result of this, what they want to do is they say, because you have been racist in the past, well, not you, because your ancestors who look like you have been racist in the past. Yeah. And what's funny is that most Americans don't have, weren't slave owners, right? The number of immigrants in America is far greater. Something like, they're, you know, if you, if you track everybody, something like, it's something like, you know, 80% or 70% of Americans are immigrants. They're from immigrant families who came after the 1900s. So there's no way they own slaves. But if you're white and you look like somebody who owned a slave back in the 1800s, <laughs> you're a de facto racist. Well, what does this cause? This causes racial tension. Yeah. So now kids are going to school and they're being taught, they're five-year-olds, six-year-olds, you know, ten-year-olds, oh, you're a racist. Uh, America's a racist country. Yeah. Well, guess what this is going to cause? This is going to cause racial tensions because how long can you tell white people that they're racist before they start saying, we got to band together and stop, fight against these other people because now we're being told we can't have jobs, we can't have this. If I have a company, I have to put a black person in charge of it or on my board. I mean, there's there's some stupid laws coming out where yep. you can't have a board of directors unless you are equally represented in the community. That means you have a black person, a white person, I mean, a, a woman, and then next will be you have to have a lesbian, a transgender. That's right. You know, Diversity. Uh, so, Diversity, right? <laughs> and they're forcing you a private company to have all this. Like, look, if you want to put somebody on it, fine. But I always look, I want you to hire me because I'm the best person around for the job, not because I'm the right color. I mean, it actually is very insulting me as a brown person to go around thinking, oh, they think I'm only in this role because I'm brown, not because I'm actually the best engineer they could have hired mm. for the position. I mean, this is just demeaning. Uh, but anyway, it goes on, and, and the whole idea basically is to create strife. And that's one thing that I've noted is imagine if you wanted to create a group of white supremacists. Where would you recruit these white supremacists? Because in America, there are very few of them around. At least back in the 2015, 2016, I think the FBI had something less than 500 white supremacists on their books, right? Today it's grown. Why? It's grown because of BLM and, and this critical race theory, because now you can go to some poor neighborhood, go to the Appalachian Mountains and say, look, it's because of the black people who are taking all your jobs that uh, you're in this position. It's not why they're in that position, but it's a great recruiting tactic. Mm. And so I think the last phase of, of uh, the Marxist agenda is basically to create racial strife. Yep. And they've done they've been very successful in America, sadly, a lot of uh, division and a lot of angst, a lot of hatred rather than just the opposite of Christianity, loving uh, forgiveness, uh, truth and right. hope. Um, Neil, we didn't get to your book. We've got to take a break. But uh, I do. We would love to have you back some at some point. But your book that you wrote is very important. I just want to put it, put it in today's podcast post at standupforthetruth.com. It's called Jesus is Involved in Politics. Why aren't you? Why isn't your church? And I just want to share a couple bullet points that uh, that you share um, to encourage people how the, the church shies away from politics and what can be done about it. You talk about uh, solutions for people that are fearful about the religious freedom for their children. Also, if you, people that want to convince Christians we need to be involved politically. And you say, of, I'll just let you wrap this up. 
Uh, you say avoiding politics is unloving and in direct contradiction to what Christ commanded. Are you referring to being salt and light? If you could wrap it up for us. Yes and no. Uh, obviously, we're talking about uh, salvation, but here's the thing. If you say Christians should not be involved in politics, you're saying that child abuse, child sacrifice, child abandonment, elder abuse, temple prostitution, child prostitution, gladiatorial combat, slavery, death games, uh, killing twins when if they're born, uh, killing widows and their husband's funeral prior, all these should still be legal. Why? Because every single one of those and thousands of other laws were changed by Christians who got involved in politics. That's right. How heartless can you be to say we Christians should not be involved in politics? Do you still want child sacrifice going on? We're the ones who stopped it. Amen. Hey, that's excellent. Excellent place to end with Neil Mammon over at noblindfaith.com. Neil, we appreciate your work with Every Black Life Matters and your apologetics and your teaching and ministry. Thank you so much for your time today, brother. Thank you so much. All right. God bless you. All right. When we come back, we're going to be talking about uh, a quote from Jason Whitlock over on Tucker Carlson and how he says what the left supports is satanic. Also, we're going to continue to uh, talk a little bit about that article we started yesterday about the left moving in perpetual conflict, and the issue is never the issue. The issue is the revolution. That's next on Stand Up For The Truth. Missed a recent show? Catch up anytime on our free app, q90fm.com slash app. Click on podcasts. Stand up for the truth. We'll continue in a moment. Stand Up for the Truth invites you to the 23rd Annual Great Lakes Prophecy Conference this September 10th, 11th, and 12th. This year's theme is The Perfect Storm. As we see the convergence of prophetic signs all around us and the swift destruction of our culture, it's clear that we are living in a time like no other. You will gain a greater understanding of the winds of change sweeping the world with Bible teacher Chris Quintana. Israel expert Jim Fletcher, Pastor Andy Woods, T.A. McMahon of the Berean Call, creationists Russ Miller and Jay Siegert, Tommy Ice, Elijah Abraham of Living Oasis Ministries, and via stream, Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kona'ohe, Hawaii. $35 per person for the entire event. Register today at cc.appleton.org. The book that uh, we were mentioning that Neil Maman wrote is almost 10 years old, but of course, a lot of books with great information are timeless, and I just want to direct your uh, attention to that. At uh, It's over on Amazon and also noblindfaith.com. Check out his website. So much there, sermons and articles and all kinds of things, resources at noblindfaith.com. But about the book briefly, um, it, it says the book is your manual to prove that if churches were involved, if pastors were training their congregations in the core principles of the law and social justice, within a few years, poverty would diminish, welfare would be handled by churches, crime would be reduced, families would start to mend, and it goes on. So there's a lot that can come from true believers in Christ that are active in politics. That doesn't mean that you're running for office Necessarily, although some are, and praise God for that Christian influence in that in the dark uh, swamp of politics. But it just means that we are engaged. We are concerned about our country. We're concerned about our children. What they're going to be. Legislation continues to happen, and you know, morality is always legislated. The question is, whose morality? I also want to direct you to. We've had uh, Dr. James Taylor. On, uh, we're hoping to get him back for a, another podcast, but I met him in Oklahoma at the Liberty Pastors Conference. He's got a book that uh, came out around the same time called Biblical or Political. So I just want to direct your attention there. So some very important, it's a very important topic because um, one of the chapters in my book I wrote about, this, I think it's chapter two, the second biggest lie in America. And what is that lie? The separation of church and State. That's the second biggest lie in America. So we are not to be separate. We're to be separate from the world, but we are not to. Um, how do you reach the world without preaching the gospel and engaging in influence, you know, influence for God and truth and righteousness? I don't know. Maybe you can answer that better than me. So the article I teased before the break, uh, Tucker Carlson, um, Jason Whitlock said what the left supports is satanic. I've been trying to 
say that in so many different ways over the last several years because this is not just a political battle. It's not just a battle, physical battle. It's not just a battle of legislation in Washington. It's not just a battle of education and what children are taught in American schools. It's not just a battle of free speech or what the media is putting out there. This is evil and demonic at its core, what's driving this. So I, I just want to read a couple lines from this. It was an interview uh, Tucker Carlson had journalist Jason Whitlock on, and um, he said, uh, yes, it was hard, but our Christian values compelled us to sacrifice our lives for the freedoms of other Americans, of slaves, he said. And through the civil rights movement, our Christian values compelled us to take risks and fight for equality and the equality of opportunity for everybody. He also said this, I see a lot of what's going on here today. I'm sorry, I'm a man of faith. I was raised in the church. This stuff is satanic. That's what's at the foundation of all this, he said. So Jason Whitlock said, I think a lot of what the left supports is satanic. I'm sorry, it's in direct objection to God. I'm a man of faith. I was raised in the church. This stuff is satanic, end quote. And of course, Tucker Carlson said, I completely agree with you. Um, so understand, friends, what, what we've tried to communicate here on this podcast. We've been, we started out more along the lines of a church discernment ministry. And apologetics came into that. It filled one of the gaps that, that has been lacking in churches, giving people resources, giving them ways to defend the faith, helping people understand why they believe what they believe about Christianity and the truth of the gospel. But So church discernment is important. And um, discerning the cults, discerning the false teachings. Paul, uh, Jesus warned about false teachers. And, you know, John and Peter, they all wrote about false teachers and warned about those who would come in, wolves in sheep's clothing, so to speak, in the church, in churches. Um, so that is a big issue, and that's one of the things that got this podcast off the ground 10 years ago, and that really, more specifically, the social justice apostasy that had infiltrated and infested American churches. So that is one thing. But So then we were through the years, we were talking about discernment issues. We would address cultural issues. We would address politics. We would address cults. And we also address spiritual warfare. That's where this subject comes in, where what the left is doing today, whether that be in Washington, D.C., whether that be in government, whether that be in the media, the leftist Democrat one-party media, whether that be in big tech, whether that be in the education system that is beyond reform, what they are doing today, what's driving it is demonic. I don't know how much clearer I can put it. So I was so blessed to see Jason Whitlock come out and, and say that on Fox News. I think a lot of what the left supports is satanic, because it is. And it comes back to a spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, or the Antichrist spirit of the age. Are you for Jesus or are you against Jesus? You're either with him or against him in the biblical worldview. When we come back, we'll talk more about that and how the left is driving this perpetual conflict in America on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. So, Jason Whitlock continued his thoughts um, when he said a lot of what the left supports is satanic. He got some feedback, I'm sure, for that. And he uh, it says, expanding on his comments in an op-ed for The Blaze, Whitlock wrote, Quote, my problem with the left is it is its aspiration to redefine every form of sin as a natural desire that we should not tame. Listen to this now, friends. This is going to go directly to the occult. He said, do what thou wilt is the unstated overarching theme of progressive politics. 
do what thou wilt, is the primary tenet of the occult practice established by English writer Aleister Crowley, a Satanist. Do what thou wilt means to seek out and follow your true path and your will, end quote. Not God's will, not the Bible, not truth, but your own truth, right? Do what thou wilt. Whatever you feel, do it. And isn't this interesting that that seems to be what the left lives by? It's one of their philosophies. Do what thou wilt, right? And then he says this. He, he said that all sin is satanic, including the ones he struggles with. He said, uh, pinpointing what he described as the satanic elements of Marxism, Black Lives Matter, and the corporate media, Whitlock said, quote, a lot of what the political left supports is satanic, and I admit personally the satanic nature of my gluttony in the past and other sins. I wish the left would own, acknowledge, and repent of its sins, end quote. That's uh, Jason Whitlock, who appeared on Tucker Carlson and then clarified some of his statements. So um, we're thankful for that. Um, now back to this idea of perpetual conflict that we started talking about yesterday, the division driving the country. It has also uh, divided the church. Uh, we saw, just think about in the last five years. Let's just go back just that far. We saw an unprecedented attacks and hatred of a U.S. president. President Trump at the time. Media fear-mongering of COVID, that was off the charts. Have you ever seen in any flu season or any other health issue a, a ticker, a counter up in the right hand or the left hand counting the amount of deaths from any flu, any virus, or the number of positive cases of anything in our lifetime? We've never seen that. So the media was fear-mongering. There was, there was political upheaval. There were riots and anarchy, which is prophetic, increased lawlessness in the last several years, uh, an economy that has been suffering, and a church deemed non-essential. Remember last year when they said, no, no, churches have to close. <laughs> but keep the abortion businesses open and the hardware stores and others, but churches have to close. By the way, I we, we've asked the question if... Walmarts and grocery stores and other places that stayed open, um, if, if the virus affected churches, people assembling there, why weren't there dead bodies at Walmart or at, why weren't they piling up? Why weren't they going through employees, you know, like, uh, like Kleenex or whatever? You know what I mean? I mean, they didn't. So it's interesting, but that's the whole nother thought. Now, this didn't happen overnight. I want to quote Dr. Carol Swain. I shared this on my Facebook, on my Instagram. I love this quote by her. Very insightful. And she said this. I believe vaccine mandates are a dress rehearsal for something more sinister coming down the pike. I love America, but I do not trust its current leaders. I believe they are capable of great evil and that some have conspired with our foreign enemies, end quote, Dr. Carol Swain. Now, a lot of people are confused. I don't know why. I guess they didn't do their research. Um, too many people, in my opinion, are confused about uh, the Biden-Harris administration policies since they took over. They're doing what they said they were going to do. They are. Um, they are hurting the nation, damaging America, I believe, weakening the nation in almost every way. Um, think about Bidenflation. I mean, it's worse than, and think about when Jimmy Carter was president. But think about this, the southern border chaos, the growing influence of the demonic, Marxist-driven, critical race theory, and other philosophies in our culture. Vaccine mandates. How about their alignment with China? You don't even know behind the scenes. Um, the military wokeness we're hearing about. Just shaking our heads going, wow. Talk about it. It seems like that would have to be on purpose to weaken the U.S. military with the transgender mandates and other things. The feminization of our military, just the, the Army, Navy, Air Force, means it's astounding to veterans that are 40 years old or, or over 40 or those who have served in the military looking at what's happening now. It's really astounding. But anyway, let's go on. What about could the Afghanistan debacle be a smokescreen? 
Um, mask mandates for children, public schools churning against parents, which is we've seen that recently, which is amazing to me. The stance they're taking, they're digging their heels in, not just about mask mandates for young children, but about the edu- the the what they're teaching, the curriculum, whether that be the r- radical sexual education or others. They're digging their heels in. Uh, who thought this would be so in out in the open now? With the uh, U.S. Department of Education, the mothership, right, the NEA. But the Biden-Harris campaign, they were touting unity, right? Trump is the divider. The, 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 the country is in chaos and division because of Trump. But the Biden and Harris were talking about unity, love, healing. They said this. But let me bring in another point. I don't know if we mentioned this, if we got to this yesterday. Have you ever wondered why the Biden-Harris campaign and global socialists at the World Economic Forum share the exact same slogan? You know what it is. Pay attention the next time you hear the words, Build Back Better. What the heck is Build Back Better? I know what it means, like when Barack Obama was running on Hope and Change. Of course, we can go into that now. She's, it left us with um, not a lot of hope and, and radical change, but hope and change. We understand that concept. What about President Trump? Make America great again. We understand that. Make America great. But build back better. What, are, what exactly are they building back? And how do they define better? Well, this is a United Nations um, globalist-driven concept. Build back better. Better. Uh, Canada's Justin Trudeau has used it. Pope Francis has mentioned it. Uh, build back better. Some say it's a dog whistle for the Green New Deal, while others warn it comes from communist policy. Now, let me just share with you um, about the Green New Deal. The environmentalist movement was birthed and some say exploded when communism was threatened. And some say communism ended when, when, you know, Reagan remember his famous words, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Um, communism didn't end. It was just repositioned. Do you understand that? Communism never went away. It just kind of retransitioned. Kind of like if you look at the public school system and common core, uh, state standards, they didn't go away. They're just, they just renamed them something else and they just put, you know, added to the curriculum. But anyway, back to this idea of environmental extremism, what we're seeing now, the Green New Deal and, and the environmentalist movement, that expanded due to communists and globalists getting involved in these issues, environmental issues. Okay. So there is a communist influence. In this, the, well, not only the Green New Deal, but what's happening with the environmentalists in policy in America. You can look that up. You can look at the background, what's behind it. And go back in history a little bit. Just look at what the uh, dictators have done and the socialists have done in world history. So, back to this worldview war that we are in, driven by spirits, right? This worldview war. Some want a world with God and with righteousness and truth and with the Judeo-Christian ethic, and that's what America was founded upon. Others want a world or even a country without God, without any biblical influence, without any reference to Scripture or the patriarchy, right? Father, our, our Father, our Father who art in heaven. That's why people are, are saying God is Mother and Mother Earth and uh, Mother Nature and all these other things. So there is a war going on. It is a worldview war. It is spiritual at the foundation. So we just want to establish that. I know we've talked a lot about that. But a person can either support and defend the truth in the biblical Christian worldview, or they can support and defend what is anti-Christian, anti-God, meaning rejecting God, rejecting biblical morality, rejecting moral absolutes. And what have we seen from Pew and Gallup and Lifeway Research and Barna and all the those that do the polling, whether that be in churches or just people out in American culture, we are driven or we are heading further and further left away from God. This is prophetic. 
let's not you know be disheartened over this, although it's easy to look and go, wow, how we have fallen as a nation or how we are declining morally and spiritually and and economically and in so many ways. But let's get back to this paradigm. Um, I heard J.B. Hickson do a phenomenal um, sermon on uh, this idea of what's, what's driving this agenda. But And I want to direct you to Not By Works. We're going to have him on on Monday, by the way. A little teaser there. But this is not about the Democrats or Republicans. It Maybe it once was. Maybe it was partly. And it is not about politics. This is about the spirit of the Antichrist. This is about the last days that we're living in. It's game on between children of God and children of the devil. Don't have time to get into all that, but I know you, if you're, you're tracking with this podcast, if you've listened for any length of time, you are not and the children of the devil. Uh, does, um, we're not saying that people who do not believe in God and who have not been born again and believe in Jesus Christ, that they are demonic, that they are um, um, possessed by the devil. We're not saying that, but they are listening. They are obeying a different spirit, aren't they? They are following demonic spirits, either knowingly or unknowingly. There are deceivers, and there are those who are deceived. So this is all part of the New World Order. It's been in the work for many decades. It's also prophetic. We're in the last days. We know that our sovereign God is going to come back. Jesus will return. We know that uh, our challenge right now is to take heart as we navigate some of the darkest times we've ever seen in American history. We are in those times now. Things will get darker according to Scripture, according to the Bible prophecy, and uh, we know it's coming. Let's be prepared. Let's be studied up on the Word of God and have our faith strengthened, but also let's be discerning and help us recognize, you know, we we need to recognize uh, those around us and where they're at. Even in the church, friends, there are some who... Um, they really need to be discipled. It's, you may find that to be a funny statement. Did you just say in the church some people need to be discipled? Yes. So true believers in Christ and the gospel must unify. We must resolve to fight for the cause of Christ as well as for the restoration of rule of law. And we need to do this together. There is a unity in Christianity Whereas in the demonic-driven Marxism and all these other movements and philosophies, there is a division and there is angst and there is hatred and there is no hope. Christianity offers the true hope, the blessed hope of Jesus Christ. And we have so much to look forward to, friends. But right now we've got to fight these current battles and we can't check out. We can't just check out and say, nope, uh, too heavy for I don't want to deal with it. Um, Well, you can, but uh, we wouldn't advise that. We want to work together and, and just try to do God's work until Jesus returns. Uh, we'll let you know who our guests are next week when we come back in just a minute on Stand Up For The Truth. Hey, I uh, thank you for uh, your support of my book as well, Canceling Christianity. continues to do well. If you have read it, if you purchased it, for example, on Amazon, please consider posting a brief review. They really help. Uh, next week, J.B. Hickson, Monday. Tina Hollenbeck, a local author about the homeschooling movement on Tuesday. John Leffler, Steel on Steel Radio, Wednesday. Creationist Russ Miller on Thursday. And Sarah Christensen, a local ministry called Frontline Harvest. She disciples women on Friday. Thank you guys so much for tuning in again. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter. <laughs>